even though I'm, I have this platform, I'm not perfect. And when you do that, it's, it's amazing how people are willing to, willing to listen to you then. Totally. That's how they connect. Well, that's the vulnerability part, right? Welcome to the Journey to Paid Speaking Gigs podcast, where we focus on how to find your voice, develop your message so that you can get consistently paid speaking gigs that generate income. Not only are you going to learn how to find your voice, but you're going to hear from professionals in the industry who are making a powerful impact, sharing their story and transforming lives. My name is Charles Clark. I'm an international speaker and ex-professional athlete. And I believe that everyone has a story to tell, but not too many people are telling it. And that's why I created this podcast, because I'm passionate about helping people break the silence, even if their voice shakes. And today's guest is going to give you the insight on how you can do just that. Betsy Myers is a leadership expert, author, and consultant, speaking at conferences, workshops all around the world on changing the nature of leadership, women's issues, and diversity. Her book, Take the Lead, Motivate, Inspire, and Bring Out the Best in Yourself and Everyone Around You continues to be the basis of her work as her experience spans the corporate, political, and higher education arena. All right, Betsy, welcome to the show. Hey, Charles. Great to be here. Oh, man. So I'm excited to get into this conversation today. Let the Thrive Tribe know who is Betsy Myers and how does she find herself sharing her story and transforming lives? Good question. Well, Betsy Myers has kind of evolved over the last uh, 30 years or so. I've always had a passion for women in leadership. Mm. And it probably came from my teen years when my mother, um, who had been a stay-at-home mom, had dropped out of college to marry my dad. And when I was a teenager, I watched her kind of shake up our family. And she went back to school, finished her degree, and got her master's in psychology and started teaching women reentry programs. Mm -hmm. And so she'd come home with all these stories about women and kind of their struggles, but also their dreams and their passion. And that's when I was kind of became awakened to women's leadership, women's advancement, women's dreams. And so that was kind of has been my, I would say my North Star. Yeah. And it, it took me in my career through I I was in the insurance and financial services world for some years in my 20s where I specialized in women-owned businesses. I worked in the Clinton administration where I went, ran the office for women business owners uh, at the SBA, went to the White House, ran the president's office for women. So there's always kind of been this thread of women's advancement that led me to my leadership business. Mm, mm. What was that transition like to... No longer be help. No longer helping presidential leaders win a campaign, and to finding your voice and speaking on the stage. Well, you know, it's interesting because I would say that my jobs um, inside those organizations. I will tell you the first time when I when I started with uh, my first job in the Clinton world, where I was the head of the office for women business owners. So I was like the chief advocate for women entrepreneurs, and part of my job was speaking at the state different state conferences on women business owners, representing the president and the administration. Mm-hmm. So that's where I really cut my teeth on um, learning how to speak, and I was. You know, we were talking earlier and I I, I can remember some of my first speeches where I would get like um, my heart would be beating so tough and I would get that thing in their throat sometimes where you like, right, it's dry. (laughs) It's Joke on your words, you know, but over time, it was interesting because the more you do something and then people were really, you know, lovely. They'd come up and they'd say, oh, you know, I do. I coach speakers and they would give me certain tips. Mm-hmm. And one of the tips they gave me in the very beginning was always know the first thing you're going to say out of your mouth and how you're going to close your speech. Mm-hmm. 
so that you yeah. don't ramble, right? And right, um, right. and the other thing someone gave me, which I follow this all the time, which is whatever your points are, never never over PowerPoint. Number one, okay. So mm-hmm. whatever the points you're making, point with a story or an example. Another point because that's fifteen people have a fifteen second attention span, so yeah. you want to hold their attention with um, with stories. And the other thing someone told me was, as a woman don't wear a lot of jewelry and bright colors, wear a solid black or blue dress, less jewelry, because people will then won't be looking at your outfit. They'll be looking right. more at what you're saying. Yeah. Your, your voice is what matters the most, not exactly. the brand that you're wearing. Right. And, right. And I know like for me, I'm, I'm a very minimalist style. So you ever see me on stage? It's real simple um, yes. because yeah, you, you want people to focus. What do you have to say? Like, this is not a fashion statement I'm trying to make. Of course you want to look good on the stage, but it's not about the brand. It's about the message. Exactly. Exactly. So I think I learned in my speaking, I, I, my mess, I learned to give the message for other people first. Yeah. And that's yeah. where I kind of hone my speaking skills. And then the, where I really hone my speaking skills is I, in 2007, eight, I worked for president Obama and mm-hmm. I was oh seven. I was his uh, chief operating officer uh, helping get the campaign operations set up. And then oh eight, I hit the road and I was one of the president's surrogates and I would go to like all the battleground states and the young people in the offices, uh, field offices would say, okay, you know, can Betsy come here for like a day or two? And then I would do whatever they needed. So town halls, house parties. And so sometimes I would wow. do four and five events a day. Wow. And that's where I really learned. Really to, prepping yourself. Yeah. I didn't realize that, realize it at the time that that was mm. studying my stage for doing my own speaking, but yeah. it was really fun. And I really um, learned a lot about how mm. to be quick on your feet, how to feel the audience, yeah. um, how to be clear, you know, don't ramble on yeah, um, that kind of thing. When did you know that you were called to speak? Like this is, this is actually something that I'm called to do. I think I started realizing it you know, probably during my Clinton years after I got going for a while, because I would get energized from it. Mm. And I would get, I would feel like I would come off a stage and I would be like, so, and then all, you know, the people you would meet after and you'd get to hear, you know, their ideas about things and you connect with people. And I, I remember thinking, this is, this, this is me. Yeah. You know, I'd be so energized by it. And yeah. Um, yeah, and it was fun, right? I, people always say like in your career, do the things that give you energy. Mm-hmm. And as I speaking, it always gives me energy. I get, I get just like, I feel joyful yeah. and, um, and it's fun. So for you, so it, it's very energizing for me to speak on the stage. Is it for you the same, like after I'm speaking, I am like exhausted. I'm like, all my energy is poured out. What about for you? <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. Especially because after you speak, but people don't often realize when you're a public speaker is then you have um, people want to meet you and talk to you. And so you have another hour or so. Oftentimes there might be another smaller dinner or something goes along with that, where you yeah. really have intense one-on-one conversations and interaction with people. So it's the yeah. speaking plus that connection, I think. So yeah, it kind of drains you and you have to recharge. Yeah. It's definitely like, it's like an exchange of energy. Like I'm, I'm giving you my, my positive charge and then other people are coming with with problems that they're looking to get solved, and so yes. you're you're receiving that whether you know you want to or not. And at the end of it, you're a little drained. And so my question for you is, what is your medicine to recharge? So my medicine to recharge is a couple of things. One is um, I love yoga. 
hot yoga where you okay. can go and you know what I love about it is like it's 90 minutes or 75 minutes and no phone you just with yourself and it's you you sweat that people have you have to like it's hot right yeah, so yeah. the room's really hot and um now during covid I haven't had been able to go to hot yoga which has been you know a bummer so you can do some online but it's not the same mm-hmm. so I would say so it was always that but the other thing is I have two dogs I have two golden doodles okay and um walking them in the woods I live in the Boston area so there's lots of places to go and I I go out with them and yeah. that is really for me I'm out in nature with my animals and you meet people with other animals I'm a huge animal lover mm. so that's been a big piece spending time with my daughter um just hanging out with her being present yeah um and then meditating meditating and trying to get quiet inside myself um yeah. and really quieting my mind and taking that time to breathe, you know, breathing is a back, actually something I've discovered recently. I realized that I held my breath and I was a competitive swimmer when I was younger <laughs> and um, I learned to hold my breath. And as I've gotten older, I'm in my fifties now. And it's like, you know what, like I um, hold my breath. So I've been working on breath work, which has been really, um, really energizing. So yeah. meditating and thinking of bre- really breathing mm-hmm. um, has also been really helpful to recharge. What do you do to recharge? I think it's really just being intentional and giving myself the respect of saying you did a good job. You you showed up with excellence. It was it wasn't like, you know, I, I just show up on a Zoom call or show up on the stage. There's a lot of prep work behind that. It's like a big concert that you put on. And so you you want to get that mental charge, you know? It it wouldn't it wouldn't be respectful for me to show up with another client. And I haven't taken the time for myself to love myself so that I can show up more abundantly with them. Because I, I believe like, you know, we're capped at a certain amount of energy where let's say, you know, a, a water bottle, right? There, there's only so much that that water bottle can give you until it exhausts. And the same thing, like we got to refill it up, right? And what's the capacity that we have? And I think the, the more you begin to speak, you'll begin to understand that capacity a little better. So for me, I definitely want to take that time to say, okay, let me shut it down for the day and um, get my mind back right. Tomorrow, I'll come back at this a little stronger. We'll, we'll do this all over again. Yeah. You know? It's just a recharge, right? It's a recharge. Yeah. 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 It's, it, it's a level of respect and for yourself and for your clients, you know? Yes. Yes. So I want you to tell me about, you, you have a very particular niche. So tell me about the genre you speak on that you get hired for. And has there ever been a time where you were afraid to commit to that lane of expertise? Well, I think, you know, as I was telling you, kind of, I, I began in the niche of women's leadership. Mm-hmm. And that really was kind of my focus, my passion, my interest. And so particularly when I came off the Obama, I mean, the Clinton world, and I came up to Boston to go to graduate school at the Kennedy School, at Harvard Kennedy School. And it was in that year that I took to kind of rethink, right, what what I wanted to do with my life and what I loved. And I realized I loved the leadership field and the women's advancement piece was a huge piece. Yeah, I didn't want to just do only women's stuff. Um, and so I would say that I have an expertise around women. And I worried, like, is that, do you want to be pegged as Bet- Betsy Myers is known for women's advancement? Because I saw that, that, that men really needed some of the heart 
you know, the stuff that I love about kind of like a new way to lead in the world was kind of, I was passionate about that too. So it was mm -hmm. like, I was passionate about the women's leadership piece, but also this kind of, and we did a lot of this work at the Kennedy school at the center for leadership, which was in, in when Barack Obama came onto the scene, you know, I was at the center there and like to, when he came in Boston and did his 2004 speech yeah. and we're not one, uh, we're not a red America, blue America, one America. And our center studied his leadership, um, which was really this, you know, a way good, goodbye to command and control and in of, you know, leadership where people feel like they matter, they uh, care, that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Yeah. Um, and so I was really interested in this kind of new leadership model that worked for both genders. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And I didn't want to just cut myself off uh, for only being, although my passion, I have a passion and expertise, there's so much more. So the work that I've done around my book called Take the Lead, which talks about leadership creates a feeling mm -hmm. people feel valued and included and part of something bigger than themselves. They connect and are their best selves yeah. was went across gender. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to expand. The other thing was for me, I would, I would say sometimes I think I felt like I was talking to the converted when I would did the women's leadership piece. And when I would uh -huh. go and talk to men, particularly men who had been baby boomer men who had always done it in a leading in a different way. And they saw that it wasn't working for them anymore. Mm. And so I became passionate about, okay, that's an old model of leadership and you're in your fifties and sixties and you have, you know, more time in your career and you have to change and like yeah. what's getting results today. So I kind of became an evangelist for like, okay, what's working today for men and women. And it's those leaders that show up with the integration of the head and the heart that bring care and empathy and vulnerability to their, mm. to their work model. And that's, what's getting results. Mm. So that's, I kind of became passionate about that too. What was the impact that it had on your business? Well, yeah, just, it, I think it gave me more opportunity to speak in conferences and things where that was jointly like leadership conferences that were men and women Yeah, um, was, you know, because I remember going down to Alabama and doing a big conference. Uh, I was a Alabama power did um, this is a couple of years ago, but an event with mostly their, well, it's men and women leaders, but a lot of male leaders and it was like, okay, guys, like what, here's some examples of where it's working in the world, right? Like mm. who's showing up with this? And I use the example of Southwest Airlines a lot because, you know, they're like, they, their whole mantra, their whole mission and vision is leadership of love. Mm. And so they, they have this, what they call the upside down uh, triangle, which is if you care about, you know, if your focus is on the customer, you know, it, I'm sorry, if your focus is on your people and your people feel loved, your people will take care of your customer. Yeah. If customer feels loved, then they'll keep coming back. And if they keep coming back, your shareholder will be happy. Right. So yeah. it was like, and they're, and oh, by the way, they're the most successful profitable airline in the country. Yeah. So I started to use examples of, okay, who's doing it differently. And I always say leadership's about getting results from whether it's an airline company, your own business, you want to be a great parent, mm -hmm. um, have a great marriage, you want to be the head of the PTA, whatever matters to you, how do you get results? Yeah. And so when we talk about results of love and care and connection that you bring to the workplace, um, it kind of goes across gender and across home and professional life. Mm. I like that. So in the past five years, what was the biggest thing that you learned that allowed you to grow your business? The biggest thing I learned in the last five years, 
I, I think the biggest thing I learned is that companies are shifting in their awareness of what they need to do to change. And that is because, and why? Because they, they're looking at their, they, their retention rates. Mm-hmm. So they're like, we are not retaining, right? We, first of all, we have, when I wrote my book nine years ago, it came out, like I was amazed, 70% of American workers are disengaged in the workplace, 70 mm-hmm. Okay, so you have an engagement study in each company, and then you have, okay, how are we retaining our people? But then the people that we're retaining, they're not engaged. Yeah. So, so I always say, look at, you know what, but, but yet we spend $2 billion a year on leadership development programs. <laughs> so maybe, you know, we're not teaching the right things to our managers and leaders. And what if you shifted what you were teaching to say, okay, you know, we need to bring in some more compassion, love, care, get to know your people, you know, make sure they feel they're part of something bigger than themselves. That's a different model of, of teaching your, um, your managers and leaders about how to lead. So what are the five things a speaker should never do on a stage, in your opinion? They should, okay, five things they should never do. Number one, do not over PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, number two, don't read your slides. Um, number three, uh, don't cookie cutter your, your, uh, talk because you want to make sure that you know who you're speaking to. And even if you have a certain, you know, milieu that you work in, like the financial business, every bank, every accounting firm is different. And you want to get in and know their players. You want to dig deep, come in with some personal stories about their company. Um, because if you if you're just saying the same speech over and over again, and it's just it feels like it's very robotic. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it's very robotic. Uh-huh. Um, uh, never get defensive if someone asks you a question, mm-hmm. you know that you're uncomfortable with, or they push you, mm-hmm. you know. And if you can't answer the question, say you know I actually don't have the answer to that, but I'll get back to you. And I'd love afterwards if we could kind of talk, so that you you know. Um, and what's another thing I would never do? Um, oh, um, never act like you are like, always show some of your own vulnerability, like always share something of yourself. So don't go in there with like stories of everyone else uh, yeah. or too much data. You want to make sure that you connect with the audience and the way you connect is your own life, your own stories. And I'll tell you one story that really, really made this a hit home for me. Mm-hmm. I was giving a speech um, in Las Vegas, actually. I don't know why I remember this, but the guy who was doing my my sound um, was this really nice guy, and he had he said he had four daughters, and I have a daughter. And afterwards, he came up to me after my talk, and he said, "Hey, Betsy, I want to tell you something. I've been doing this for a really long time. I've heard millions of speakers, and he said the thing that made me I started to listen to you because you started to talk about your daughter." Hmm. And you related your own experience and your own, you know, struggles and your own life with your daughter. And I have four daughters. And so all of a sudden I could connect to you. He goes, it's not the fact that you worked for Clinton or Obama. He said, that's nice, but I can't connect to that. But hmm. I can connect to you being a mom. So hmm. I, that really stuck with me. And so in my speeches, I talk a lot about my own experiences and also what times I've failed times I've skinned my knees. So I expose my, you don't want to overshare. There's a line on overshare, but there's ability to say, Hey, I've been there. And because, you know, when I'm speaking on leadership, I've been in the trenches of leadership. 
right? So I've had experiences where I have messed up with employees or bosses or gotten fired and gotten in trouble with people. And I tell those stories yeah. all the time. And, um, and so I think it makes you human. And so I would yeah. say you want to, you want to, you want to make sure that you don't act like you have it all together, that you're a human being and you've had the same struggles as the audience. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's the number one thing for me to let them know, even though I'm, I have this platform, I'm not perfect. And when you do that, it's, it's amazing how people are willing to, willing to listen to you then. Totally. That's how they connect. Well, yeah. That's the vulnerability part, right? Yeah. Yeah. So true. So what advice would you give to someone who never written a speech before? It's the same advice I give when someone wants to write a book. What is it that you are saying about the topic you love that is different than maybe what other people? So like when I wrote my book on leadership, it was my coach was like, what is Betsy Meyer saying about leadership? that's different than what other people have written about, right? So there's a million speakers, there's a million books, right? So what is it that you were passionate about? What is that the experience that you've had that can actually help people? Um, and what are you saying that might be different in that area than someone else has said, mm. right? So what's your message? Because I think that's what you have to, you can't just, you know, that's the other thing a speaker should never do is just, what are you trying to ramble on with a million stories? Like, what are you trying? What's the key point? <laughs> Give, right? it <laughs> Give it to me. Give it to me straight down. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what's it like for me? Leadership creates a feeling. So everything around my speech is around that main point. What's your key bullet point? Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, so so what is that? So in order to write a speech, you've got to know what is the key bullet point that my rest of my speech will be written about. What is your expertise? What is your pearl of wisdom? Mm-hmm. From your experience, your passion that you are going to add to this audience or a audience. Yeah. I love this conversation. Bessie, thank you so much for your time. But before you go, I definitely want to know how the tribe can stay in touch with you. So really easy. Betsy at BetsyMyers.com is my website. And uh, just to go on there. And my email is Betsy at BetsyMyers.com. Awesome. So definitely stay in touch. And my book you can get on Amazon. It's called Take the Lead. Motivate yourself and everyone around you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, hit the subscribe button, leave a review. We definitely want to keep these episodes coming. And your support is greatly going to impact the success of this podcast. Tribe, it's time that you break the silence, even if your voice shakes. I'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>